Well, good morning. It is truly a privilege to be able to be amongst you, and I just want to begin by saying thank you for having me. I want to publicly uh, thank Pastor Roman as well while he's out uh, recuperating and refreshing him and his family, and so we're just glad to be amongst God's people to be able to worship with you. And I just want to recognize my family have come. Uh, Andrew have already um, mentioned that, and I just want to uh, just say that I'm, I'm thankful to have them with me. Uh, my wife uh, is a chronic migraine sufferer, so the fact that she made it uh, is just uh, a blessing. She don't like when I uh, kind of uh, talk about her, and <laughs> she kind of warned me already, so I'm just going to cut it off right there. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, what, what a great privilege we have in worshiping the Lord, our God. Um, and to piggyback on what Andrew was saying about the church and how we're able to come together, uh, brothers and sisters from different parts of the world, the region. And so um, we want to talk about the church this morning. And if you have your copy of God's Word um, we'd like to um, look at Colossians chapter 1. And today we will be reading verses 1 through 14 for context to help us in understanding the main passage uh, we will consider during our time together. Beginning in, in verse 9, you will see Paul giving an update for how he regularly prayed for the Colossian Christians. Now, I want you to keep in mind that Paul is concerned about a church whom he had never seen before. Uh, Paul is in prison at this time, and he's writing to them to encourage them. And in verse 9, we're going to see how his prayers were consistent, and he was focused on the will of God uh, and, and what God would have for this church. He was also um, making it known uh, about how God's power is at work in their lives, and that's something we can draw from the word of God as well, that God is actively providentially working in our lives. And so there's nothing too small or too difficult. Uh, uh, God is concerned about it all. Uh, he loves us. And so we're going to uh, see here how Paul in his life, how he prayed for this particular church. Uh, and then um, Paul closes his prayers with thanksgiving by acknowledging the sovereign plan of God to deliver and redeem his people from sin. And for that reason alone, Christians ought to never forget that. We're to always be talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ because for us, it's good news. And so every believer must be mindful of the gospel. We must also be mindful to pray for not only ourselves, but we want to pray for one another. And so that's a little plug for prayer meeting. Uh, I'm sure you guys have it here. And uh, if you haven't been coming to prayer meeting, I would encourage you to try just coming once a month and maybe coming twice a month and, and so on and so on. But prayer is the vehicle in which God uses to bless his people. So... Um, here we're going to see how scripture is reminding us also how through prayer we're not to be selfish. Right? Prayer, we're not to just pray for ourselves and what we want, but we want to be thinking of others also. So um, let us um, look at our text for this morning. Colossians 1 beginning at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, 
grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And this is where we're going to spend most of our time. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Amen. This is the word of the living God. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, how we give you thanks to be able to come together and worship you, the true and living God. Lord God, we pray that as we hear from your word, that you would speak to us individually, speak to us collectively. We pray that you would identify the things we ought to change we pray that you would help us to see what we ought to see. Help us, Lord God, to be able to consider all that you have said in your word, that we might leave here a change people. And Lord God, we pray for the one who may be amongst us who do not know you as Lord and as Savior. May today be the day of salvation. We pray that you would cause blind eyes to see and deaf ears to hear. And we pray that you would get all of the glory, the honor, and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. So I've, been, I've entitled the sermon today, Pray This Way. Uh, we're, we're hearing about uh, one who was sent by God and in how he prayed for the church. We're, we're seeing the apostle express his love for the church of, of Christ. And so on today, I will be discussing five elements or ways members of the local church can pray. And so uh, you don't have to worry. I'll, I'll list, list them as we go. So in, in what ways can members of the local church pray for one another? And so if you always wondered what are some things we can be praying for one another, uh, Paul, kind, he, he deals with this in, in these particular verses. And so let's take a closer look at our text. And in verse 9, Paul states, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. 
And this is what he's praying for, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So Paul was not intending at any time to stop praying for this church. The question I have for you is, do you have that same mentality? Do you have that same force to pray for one another? To, to in many ways, not to leave this particular uh, area of discipline undone. Uh, are we saying to ourselves, we never intend to stop praying for one another? Is this our intentions? In other words, are we on, are we on a mission for Christ in building up his kingdom with him? Do we even see prayer as being necessary? And if so, what are we doing about it? As we can see in Paul's life, it was not an option for him. He, he prayed <clears throat> excuse me, for this church to be filled with the knowledge of God. And therefore, we can learn in doing the same. So the first element we must have in our prayers is for the church to be filled with the knowledge of God in verse 9. Human beings can only know God intellectually. Uh, they can only observe what he has done. Christians, on the other hand, can know God in a real way through personal relationship with him. This goes beyond the intellectual. The intellectual is is valuable and it is necessary. But God wants us to go deeper in relationship with him. And that's why scripture teaches us that unless we are born again, we cannot know God. And so the necessities for relationship with God begins with faith in him, believing him for who he said he is. So according to the text, we see that there are certain elements we must pray for according to the knowledge of God. That means as Christians and as the church, we must pray to be filled, the text says. And to be filled means to be full. It means to make complete. It means to finish. And so the sense of the word is to be supplied, to become or to be generously supplied with the knowledge of God. And so human wisdom lacks the ability to even understand God's wisdom. I believe we see that in 1 Corinthians, uh, I believe chapter 2, verse 14, that the natural man cannot know God. The natural man does not have that ability to know God. And scripture goes on to say, nor can he. See, apart from God, we cannot know him or understand his ways. So God's wisdom is beyond measure. And in Psalm 147, verse 5, the scripture say, says, states, great is our Lord. And abundant in power, his understanding is beyond measure. But the main reason why we need to pray for one another is because of our inability to know all things. And that's why we share with one another the difficulties of life, the trials and tribulations we go through because sometimes we're at our wit's end, and we just don't know how to move and how to navigate through life. And that's why we're able to use spiritual tools that God has given us for this life, and one of them is prayer. And so um, we want to make sure that we're utilizing this 
gift that God has given to the church. And so God's wisdom, we want, to, we want to pray for his wisdom because his wisdom is superior. It's superior in every respect. In Romans 11.33, and we touched on this already, Scripture states, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. The, the, the wisdom of God in many cases will baffle us. It perplexes us. And so we don't always understand why God is doing what he's doing. And so uh, we're perplexed at times, but in, we see in Isaiah 40, Israel had forgotten about God's wondrous attributes. And knowing the attributes of God, it helps us to still uh, maintain our stability because of who he is. And so it doesn't matter what we're going through in life. We know that we're able to be stable because Christ is the rock. He's the firm foundation. And so in Isaiah 40, Israel had forgotten about God's wondrous attributes. They even concluded that God didn't care. But in Isaiah 40, verse 28, the scripture states, the incompre incomprehensible nature of God's wisdom, stating, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. These are the kinds of things we need to know, we need to remember when we're going through the difficulties of life. And these are the things we need when, even when the waters of life seem to be calm. Because even then we find ourselves forgetting about what God has done. And God would often tell his people, even while they were wandering in the wilderness, to remember the Lord your God that have brought you out of Egypt. Right? Even when they were going and crossing over the Jordan into the promised land, he said, remember the Lord your God who have brought you out of Egypt. And so there, there seems to be a reminder that this is an area that we need to be disciplined in area of discipline uh, that is so important is how we value prayer. Uh, prayer kind of stabilizes us because there's just some things we don't know that we only can look so far ahead. There's so many things we can plan for. But when we go to the all-knowing one, we can say as scripture commands us, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. We come agreeing with God that he's in control. That's why scripture teaches us in Matthew chapter 6, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And so these are the kinds of things we want to have in our arsenal as we live the Christian life. So as we um, find ourselves meeting with, with God, we want to continue to be reminded of his attributes. So as we meet with God in prayer and as we face hardships and unfavorable circumstances, we must remember that God's Wisdom continues to be superior to ours. Therefore, we rely upon him. 
Therefore, when things seemingly are not working out, um, we can pray. When sickness visits us, we ought to pray. When the job is weighing us down, we ought to pray. Sometimes we go through trouble unnecessarily. We have access to the one who knows all things, control all things, and we don't even consider talking with him. We try to go at it alone or go at it on, I mean, by ourselves. But we should pray because we don't know all things. The knowledge of God consists of having spiritual insight. And that means we must pray for the church to be filled with the insight of God. And spiritual insight is the ability to appreciate God in matters of providence. But if we're honest, it's hard at times to see God's providence when we feel the pressures of this life. But this, too, is a gift of God to the church. Paul tells Timothy about being a good soldier of Christ in 2 Timothy chapter 2. And in verse 7, he encourages him to gain insight from the things he has stated to him. So Paul is communicating to his protege, I want you to remember the things that I have mentioned to you, the things that I have talked to you about. So Paul states to him in verse 7, think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. That means we too can get understanding in everything. May God, as his church, give us insight to do his will. The second element we must pray for is to live in a manner worthy of God. This, this section points to our sanctification. Now, we are justified in Christ, and we cannot lose our salvation because we're saved not on the basis of our own works. We're saved solely on the basis of what he has done for us. We, however, is the beneficiaries of the goodness of God, of the kindness of God, of the love of God. And so we are unfinished. God is still at work in us until he calls us home. So in other words, all of us got issues. Amen. We, we all got issues, unresolved issues are still present in our lives. Some of us are dealing with things that we dealt with 20 years ago, 10 years ago, five, last year, six months ago. But we can be confident that God is sanctifying us and he's helping us to become more and more like Christ. And so uh, sometimes we obey God and sometimes we disobey. And that simply means that none of us have arrived yet. We are needy people. We're all sinners. But what Paul has in mind here is really about how we sow and what we sow. So in the grand scheme of things, only God truly deserves honor and praise with wholehearted devotion. The question is, what are we offering God? What kind of seeds are we sowing? Are they the kinds of seeds that would grow and manifest into being something that God could use in our lives? Or is it something where the birds can come in and, and eat it up and destroy it. But, but Paul's prayer for this church is for them 
to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And to walk means, you could, you, you could think about this as living out, right? To, to, to go about your life, your everyday life. You can also think about it in the way we behave. That means the whole man, our thoughts, our attitudes, our actions, uh, that which makes up our humanity. Are we bringing ourselves under the sovereign plan of God with wholehearted devotion? Or are we like the Israelites? Are we complaining about what is and what isn't? Right? It only points to the reality that we're not trusting God. We're not solely putting our confidence in him. We still want to control things. And so sometimes we become control freaks. But, but we have the opportunity to lay it down before the throne of grace. And so when we think about this word walk, the sense here is to live or behave in a specified manner and worthy means worthily. In other words, in a manner worthy of suitably, properly, a uh, manner that's befitting or deserving. I mean, we see it today where people would say, if they're being treated a certain way, they would say to themselves, I don't, uh, to, to who they're talking, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve that. So how much more should we see our lives in a way where we say God doesn't deserve this? God doesn't deserve that. You see? So we ought to pray like that. This is what Paul is praying for for this church. And we must pray. In verse 10, Paul informs this church about how he prays for them, stating that he prays for them to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to, the, to him, bearing fruit in every good way, work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So can you imagine what could be if the church prayed like that on a regular basis? Revelation 5, 12 says this about the Lord. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. That's what he deserves. Scripture commands us that worthy is the lamb. And we, when we think about the lamb, we know that he has done something for us. We talked about earlier us being the beneficiaries. We were brought out of darkness into his marvelous light. And that ought to move us to honor him and to glorify him. Philippians 2, 9 through 11 says, Therefore God has highly exalted him. And bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So our prayers should consist of walking and living in a way that's fully pleasing to the Lord. And when we think about the word fully, fully means all. Whatever we do, in, in every respect, it speaks to the totality of what we do. Every kind of everything that we do. And so, this sense, it, it means that everyone ought to consider their ways individually. In other words, we must look over our lives and pay attention to the details. You know, sometimes we are feeding ourselves with food that is a danger to us because we don't read the ingredients. And God is saying here that I want you to look over your life 
And I want you to see the minutest detail, and I want you to pay attention to it so that changes could be made so that all of the weeds can be cut back and we can grow in a way that honors and glorifies God. He's saying, don't look over anything. Pay close attention to your lifestyle. We can't fool God. Everything that we do is before the face of God. Everything is exposed. He sees and knows all things. So it, it behooves us to be in agreement with God that when we sin, we confess it and we repent. We acknowledge God in all of his goodness, for, uh, goodness towards us. And this is the practice Pleasing God is not an external exercise. It's really about the heart. Isn't that what the scripture says? It's not what comes out of a man that defiles him, but it's what's in his, his heart. And so what we see in people that's on the exterior is really what's in the heart. That's what we are when we see what comes out of us. If we don't have a heart that has been changed by God, we will see the evidences of, of that. If there are some behaviors we need to change, or whatever it is, it comes from the heart. And in Romans 12, 1 and 2, we see that the Lord wants us to be devoted he wants our actions to come from the heart. He wants us to be committed. And so Paul states in verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing. Right? Nobody wants that. The scripture clearly states that we're going to be tested. And it's by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So pleasing God is always better than pleasing man. But to make sure we don't get caught up in the performance trap. Well, we're trying to perform so that others might have favor on us. No, we have favor from God. We, we have relationship with God. And so we have a new identity and we don't have to do anything for anybody to like us. Because we've been positioned now where we have relationship with the Father and with the Son. And we must remember our position so that we will not find ourselves trying to please man, becoming men pleasers. Right? I want to think of it as when we live our lives we live our lives before an audience of one. And if we're always right before God, we'll always be a blessing to our fellow man. Because the scripture puts us in a place where we can be a blessing when we are honoring God and obeying his word. And pleasing God is always better. Now here's the, here's the warning is that it won't always feel that way, right? Doing, doing the right thing doesn't mean we always feel good about it. But, but we can know that it's the right thing, right? And we can walk with our head up high because we have the knowledge of God and we're operating in devotion to him. And so that's the confidence that we have that no matter what the naysayers may say, I'm right with God. And that's really all that matters. Because at the end of the day, I'm going to stand and account for 
what I have done before him. And we all have to stand on our own. And so we're reminded of this. So pleasing God is always better. So this means that Christians must beware. Beware of what? To beware of our attitudes. Right? We're to beware. We're to guard ourselves from anything that displeases God. Listen to what 1 John 1 and 7 says. It says there, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. In other words, God will accept our deeds when they're done out of a heart with right motives. When our motives are right, we can always know that we're in the good with God because it's coming from a good place. So do good for the right reasons. We must check ourselves to see if we're pleasing God or pleasing self. So what results do you expect? What are we going to get out of it? What are our motives? These are the kinds of questions we want to ask ourselves when we're living a life that's pleasing to God. The third element for inclusion in our prayers is to pray for the church to bear, for, bear good fruit, fruit that is acceptable to God. This includes every member with no one left behind. So you want to think about bearing fruit as producing a crop. So think about it as uh, we have the, these seeds that we are sowing for the sake of Christ. And when God comes back, we want God to see rows and rows of a spiritual crop that has fruit in it that is acceptable. Causing results also is the kinds of fruits uh, that we want to produce, seeing uh, or the sense uh, to produce actions and natural consequences befitting one's nature, bearing fruit according to its kind. So if we are children of the Most High God, we ought to pr produce fruits that are representative of children of the Most High God. Apple seeds produce apples, oranges produce oranges, and the children of God must also identify with Christ by sowing seed that will produce good fruit. And so this again reminds us of how the sower seeds, how the sower sow seeds, either our seed will be sown on good soil or it's not. So Christians ought to do good works because they prove their identity with Christ and doing good is the evidence or fruit that we've been redeemed and rescued by God in order so that we might do good works. And so this is unnatural for human beings by nature. It is our custom to do that which is contrary to God naturally. Therefore, in an ultimate sense, the natural man cannot do good. And we see this in Ecclesiastes 7, verse 20, where it states, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. There's no one. That means that that's all of us. Two, the children, of God, the children are encouraged to do good regularly, without reservation. In other words, keep sowing good seed. It's, it, ought to, it ought to become habitual rather than a burden. If it's good, it ought not to be a burden to us. It, it ought to be something we enjoy because we understand what it's for. We understand what it produces. But sometimes as Christians, we behave like the world. We say and do ungodly things. 
our actions in many cases is determined by how others have treated us. And in addition to that, we get tired of doing good when we're not seeing immediate results. Sometimes we want answers now, right? Sometimes we say things like, I'm tired of doing the right thing. I'm always getting left out. People always try to run over me. And so sometimes these moments of discouragement will sometimes have us to want to turn around or to put the baton down and get out of the race. But scripture is reminding us that it is through tribulation that the prize is appreciated. The prize and the trophy and the reef is only appreciated when we run through the tape. We don't get it early. We can't step outside of the race and still want the same results, right? But we must look forward in faith, look to Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. It's not dependent upon us, but we must rest in Christ. That's how we know we can do good, because it's not dependent upon us. It solely depends upon God. And so we're reminded not to grow weary in well-doing. Isn't that what it says in Galatians 6? And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, if that be true, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone. You see that hinge? The hinge is doing good because of relationship with God, not because of man. If we do good to others on the basis of what they do to us, it'll be hard for us to get through life because somebody will always offend us or say something about us or give us a wrong look or whatever it is, right? But when we're in Christ, we, we know that in due season, we shall reap. And so, brothers and sisters, I say to you today, don't grow weary in doing good. Look for opportunities to be a blessing to others. We're not to get tired of doing what is right because we want to obey God. We've been given the command, and we want to stand strong in the Lord. So don't give up, and don't give in because harvest is coming. Keep sowing good See, maybe the reason why sometimes some maybe the reason why something uh, bad keeps happening to us is because we're sowing bad seeds, and therefore we're reaping a bad harvest. So sometimes we got to step back, stop sowing, and check the seed. What, what's our motivations? Where, where is this coming from? Is it? Is it is it found in the scriptures? Is the scriptures truly the authority over my life, or am I still in control? So sometimes we're doing things, and we don't know why. We need to look over our lives. But, but if we suffer and we're doing good, we can rest in the confidence that God is sovereign and that he always makes things right. 1 Peter 4.9 says it like this, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator, watch it, while doing good. Right? You, you can have control yourself, or you can say, you know what? It's in God's hands. I'm going to trust him for the outcome and for the results. And so, therefore, pray for the church to bear fruit by increasing in the knowledge of God. We want to be in prayer for one another that we might increase in the knowledge of God. And the knowledge that we are given is always for the glorified God. It's not to make ourselves 
above everybody else like the Pharisees did to look down on others. Because God has given us all a measure of faith. And it's the faith that God has given. So how can we look down on that which God have blessed somebody else with? Right? We're putting ourselves in opposition against God. And so this leads us to the, um, the fourth element. The fourth element we ought to pray for is pray for the church of Christ to be strengthened by God. Uh, we're going to get weak at times. Right? And we can't do things in our own strength. According to verse 11, we must pray for continuous strengthening by the sovereign power of God. These Colossian Christians needed to know that their strength came from God. And in their culture, people looked to worldly things and ideas to live by. They found comfort in the ways of the world. Paul wanted them to know that their power came from the Almighty. And it's interesting that because in verse 15, Paul is now, now about to talk about the preeminence of Christ. Christ ruling all things. But right before that, he's talking about prayer. And so, in, in, in our culture, we must make sure that we're not living by the ways of the world. So Paul was encouraging them that they had to put away selfish ambitions in order that they may continue living for God in a way that is worthy to the Lord. Now, this is the same church where Paul commends them. He says they are a commendable church. But in that same vein, he stops by, he writes this letter in, uh, to them so that they might continue walking in a way that pleases God. And so, pray also that the church continue to be strengthened by God's sovereign power, but also so that God would give endurance and patience. In, in our hour of suffering, we must learn to be patient by doing two things. One, we must commit ourselves to the Almighty God. It's going to come back to being committed to him. And two, we must continue in doing good. Pain and suffering can, cannot be determining factors as why we do good. In other words, so if I feel good, I'll do good. That, that's not the determiner because as we look through scripture, uh, there are always difficult roads that those who follow the Lord had to walk, even to the point of death. So if Christ himself was persecuted, how much more should his students his disciples be persecuted as well. So essentially, we must not be surprised when we go through, as the scripture says, diverse temptations. We must count it all joy. Right? And that's not to mean that we're to feel happy about what we're going through, but our happiness is found in him because he's still ruling and reigning. He's in control. And so we want to continue to honor God in that way. We want to do good to one another because we understand the grace of God at work in our own lives. See, when we're in touch with what God has done for us, it's easier for us to love somebody else. Because if we truly understand that we don't deserve what God has given us, how can, we, how can we treat others looking down upon them without expressing the same kind of love that God has expressed to us? That's hypocritical, right? So we're reminded that because he lives, we live. The gospel keeps our marriages healthy, and because of it, we can endure any difficulties we may face. It helps us when we need to be patient with one another, patient with our children, patient with our parents. 
right? So the gospel keeps us ready to deal with one another. When we have the mind of Christ, we're able to deal with one another. And as the church of Christ, we must learn patience. The scripture warns us against impatience because it shows a lack of faith in God and a refusal to wait for things to develop. We, we don't like waiting. Faith in God, when we are putting faith in God, we want to make sure that we're waiting for his plan and his purpose. So listen to the scripture as it speaks for the wisdom of God. The scripture says in Psalm 37, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Then in Proverbs 19.2, it says, desire without knowledge is not good. And whoever makes haste with his feet misses his way. Impatience never rewards. It only shows that we should have waited. In what areas of your life are you impatient? Is it the children? Is it your spouse? Is it your parents? Is it your coworkers? Is it brothers and sisters in Christ? Whatever it is, identify the problem, confess any sins, and repent, and begin doing those things that pleases the Lord. We're able to do this because God is rich in mercy. He doesn't run out of it. He expects his children to come and to make things right so that there may be fellowship between him and his people. And lastly, the fifth element we have to add to our prayers is pray for Ranch View Baptist Church to be thankful. Don't forget this one. This is very important. Thanksgiving is essential. It's an element in Paul's life that was, that was constant. How did he open up. He opened up with thanksgiving. He opened up with thanking God about his grace. And this was constant in his life. Paul never stopped praying for this church, even though he never met them face to face. How much more should we pray for the one another that we see every day face to face? You see, each each, um, each other, when we pray for each other week after week, we're preparing ourselves uh, to be ready to love, to care, to help those who are in need. And Brother Paul was committed to Christ. And with this perspective, he never saw the need to stop praying for this church because he knew that the Lord loved his bride. And he loved them to death. Paul understood gratitude. And this is necessary for the church. Our expressions of gratitude and appreciation for our brothers and sisters in Christ often prompts us to give thanks to God. So we are to pray that we remain thankful for what God has done. Colossians 1.13, we've read it. Uh, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Pray that you remain thankful for what the son did. Then that next verse, it says, in whom we have redemption. See, we must remember our position. 
We must remember that because we sin, we don't fall out of relationship with God. In relationship, we just need to confess our sins. We remember the redemption that we have in Christ and remember the words that Christ himself has stated. He said that it is what? Finished. Right? We have to live in that. We are forgiven. There may be someone here today that has not yet been rescued by God through faith. In other words, you haven't been given access to God, therefore you don't have a personal relationship with him. People think they do. They think that by coming to a service like this, that somehow that guarantees them relationship with God. But it doesn't. When somebody have an agreement, both parties have to agree. And so, in the same way with God, he has provided a way for sinners to come into relationship with him. God intends for all his creatures to have relationship with him according to the terms that he has given. But there must be an agreement between God and man. In other words, sinners agree that they are in need of a savior, so they recognize that they are indeed sinners. Only then can sinners receive salvation through faith in Jesus Christ and be rescued from sin, death, and hell. And so what has to happen? The scripture says that in order to be made right with God, must, one must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ believe that he died, believe that he was buried, believe that he rose again from the grave and is now seated at the right hand of the Father and is through faith in him as your Savior for your sins, meaning that there's no work that you can provide that will put you in the right with God. It's only through the finished works of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he said it is finished. That means no one can add to it, and no one can take anything away. Finish means complete. And so that's, that's what we have before us today. If you don't know him as Lord and Savior, the other side of that, and you need to know this, that if you're not in the right with God, the scripture says that God will give you what you deserve. And the scripture says if you miss the mark, if you've committed one sin, that's grounds for disqualification for not entering the kingdom of God because God's standard is perfection. And the only way we get in to become children of God is through adoption. And it's through the adoption process that we are made right with God on the basis of what Jesus has done. And that's why, for us, it's good news. Because none of us deserve it. It's only by his grace. So, Jesus is the way. Place your faith in him alone. Just Christ. I'm not asking you to change anything. I, I believe that genuine faith, God will do his work. Right? Because he who begins a good work in you shall complete it. So that means that it, it's not dependent upon us. And so believe that he was buried from, he was buried in the grave and rose from the grave with all power and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. Believe, be set free from sin, death, and hell. Jesus is your only hope. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, we give you thanks for your word. And we pray, Lord, that we would love you with a devotion that honors you and brings glory to your name. Help us to put others ahead of ourselves, to be mindful, to pray for one another. 
Lord, let this be a reality in this church that you might be glorified. Let it be a reality amongst us all. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.